Welcome to Deep Focus, a radio show about movies in New Haven. I'm your host, Tom Breen. On the first segment of today's show, we'll be talking about Strange Cinema, a new bi-monthly screening series in collaboration between two Westville arts venues that looks to celebrate 80s and 90s underground culture from low-budget horror movies to patches, pins, and VHS. I'll be joined by Joe Fay from Lyric Hall and Alex DeCoulis from Strange Ways to talk about this new screening series, how it came about, what movies they'll be playing, and about the enduring appeal of watching bad movies with good people and better beer, to quote the Saloon's the Saloon Cinema uh, logo from nice or catchphrase from a few years ago. Yeah. Uh, on the second segment of the show, I'll be joined by New Haven Independent staff reporter Alan Appel for a review of the latest version of Beauty and the Beast, a new adaptation by director Bill Condon of the 18th century French fairy tale about a bookish farm girl, a British prince, and a magical house of hopelessly romantic talking furniture. Uh, already one of Disney's highest grossing movies in recent memory, Beauty and the Beast is anything but underground and countercultural and not the kind of thing that we usually talk about on the show. But hey, a lot of people are seeing it and uh, Lucy and I thought it would be fun to see on a date last Friday. So why not talk about it today? <laughs> That's cinema, Beauty and the Beast. There we go. <laughs> yeah. uh, but first, I'm very happy to welcome to the show Alex DeCoulis and Joe Fay. Alex is the founder and proprietor of Strange Ways on Whaley Avenue in Westville, and Joe Fay is not just a regular guest on the very program, on this very program, I should say, but also a bookseller and cataloger at William Reese Company and a movie programmer for Lyric Hall in Westville. So Alex and Joe, welcome to the show and welcome back to the show. It's a pleasure to have you two on, on Facebook Live, nonetheless. Yeah, that's amazing. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. Nice to be here. Thank you. Yeah. Nice to see myself. It's- Look wonderful. <laughs> you wore the cool shirt today. I did. I don't know if you guys can see it. I will stand. April Fool's oh, Day. Oh, wonderful. Well, for tonight. Which may or may not end up being, you know. You know, you know. Oh, but, you know, there are a whole bunch of visual clues in the Facebook Live feed today, so just keep your eyes. <laughs> right. Just scanning the, the width of the frame. But maybe, Alex, since you haven't been on the show before, I'd love for you to introduce yourself and also Strange Ways to listeners who may not be familiar with it. What What is Strange Ways and what do you guys do over there on, uh, on Whaley Avenue? Sure. So Strange Ways is a retail shop. Uh, we carry independent artists and designers. Smaller brands, uh, some of them are local for sure, not all of them, but they're all independent creative entrepreneurs. Uh, We tend to focus on smaller items like pins and patches. Um, We also have t-shirts, pennants, a lot of vintage-inspired product. Um, I love kind of taking things that are old and making them new again and introducing them to a new audience. Um, The cool thing about the pins and patches we carry is a lot of artists are taking them as a very accessible medium to get their work out there, and people can wear them around all day and kind of show their support. And um, that's really what we've gotten known for at the storefront. And also we have a big online shop and online following too. So our, our reporter, Markeisha Ricks, profiled you guys when you opened back in, the, I think, fall of 2015. So you've been there for yeah. uh, a year and a half now. Mm-hmm. And uh, there are a few things of, of note that I want to ask you about. One is that you also may be relevant for the series. You do, or you did have, I don't know if you still have a kind of VHS pop-up area in the back of the store, as well as a number of fanzines and other kind of underground movie-related uh, artifacts that are kind of part of Strange Ways catalog. But also, you I mean, a very kind of part of the mission of Strange Ways, from what I understand, is to cater to you know the hyper-local New Haven community, to the Westville scene, but also you know not to be a kind of major national and international brand, if, if that you know, not that one can just snap one's fingers and be that, but that's not necessarily what you're aspiring to do, but rather to kind of be a cultural hub for the community in which you live. Yeah, totally. I mean, I want to be a neighborhood shop. Um, 
that's not to say I wouldn't love people from all around the country, even the world, to buy stuff from us. But the goal isn't to become a, I wouldn't even know, a comparison, I guess, superficially in Urban Outfitters or something where there's like 150. Plus. Oh, it looks, could you turn the mic a bit closer? To, sure. Thank you. Drifting um, yeah, I wouldn't want it to become a gigantic thing. I want it to be successful, um, but I'd love being a neighborhood shop. I love being more about underground culture. I love showcasing independent creatives and you can't really become, even if I wanted to, like a big brand store shop with not carrying Nike and all that stuff. So um, I appreciate being a part of the neighborhood and I like community. And I think a lot of the people that shop at Strange Ways and Visit sort of feel this inclination towards sort of being a part of the shop. And I'd much rather have very passionate fans that are few and far between than like a bunch of mass commercial um, stuff that you know people don't really care about and might toss away after you know next month. And you know, I think that is a nice kind of segue over to what Lyric Hall is, and that I think of Westville venues that are cultural hubs for the community that do cater to a very specific and uh, and kind of adoring uh, base of customers and fans and attendees. Uh, that's this old you know vaudeville theater turned uh, antique house and also concert venue, uh, lecture space, movie space. That is Lyric Hall. And Joe, maybe you could tell. Our listeners a bit about what you do at Lyric Hall, and then kind of bring bring me into into strange cinema. What what sure. is this series? Sure. Um, well, as you know, um, Lyric Hall is a, a it was opened as a silent movie house in 1913, and went through you know various very lived various lives as a vaudeville house and as a antique store, and and uh, the owner John Cavalier bought it about ten over ten years ago now. And has rehabbed the building into what it is now, uh, which is uh, part-time, well, a full-time antique restoration business, but also um, a, a fairly now full-time tavern and um, an event space. So, yeah, you have concerts, you have live theater, you have um, benefit concerts uh, and movies. And uh, as you know, you've, you've been to some of the screenings. Over the last couple of years, and we've we've tried various series. We've tried we we've brought in filmmakers to um, show their movies, uh, and it's it's all been sort of I think building uh, somewhat to what Strange Cinema is. And Strange Cinema was kind of born out of a, a Christmas time screening of Christmas Evil, <laughs> uh, which is this pretty crazy fun uh, have. It's not really a slasher movie, though it has a moment or two of that. But it's really this sort of psychological thriller uh, made in 1979, 1980, um, about this guy, uh, Fiona Apple's dad, actually, uh, plays the part of the deranged Santa, uh, who sort of is uh, a little too enamored of Santa for his own good, and bad things happen. And so we did this screening of Christmas Evil, and Alex, uh, Alex came, and he's been to a few screenings before. And we've talked here and there, because I'm a customer of Strange Ways. <laughs> I love it. My twin daughters love it. Uh, they go in there and, and buy things they're probably not technically ready for. What uh, kinds of things did well, they get? So, <laughs> for one, one thing that my, my daughter, Franny, bought one time was a, uh, a big patch of like this skeleton hand holding a, a malt liquor 40. <laughs> and she just liked it. Like Visually, it was appealing to her. And it so she was soda, like a, a really big two liter soda. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's 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 cream soda, sure. Uh, but it was visually interesting to her. 
So she wanted, you know, and we're working on collecting patches. She wants to do a, a denim jacket. So um, as a customer of Strange Ways, I go in there, you know, often enough. And Alex and I have talked and, you know, we're fellow VHS uh, nut nutcases. Yeah, I mean, and, I loved, not to interrupt, but I loved yeah, no. what Joe was doing with uh, Saloon Cinema and the Magnetic Fest. I mean, this is all the type of stuff that I want to go to and see happening. And I think that this sort of... It's almost pure underground culture where it's not messed with by anything mainstream where it's just people that really love either movies or VHS or weird stuff come together and like, you know, be weird together is what I love. So yeah, that should be the tagline for this. Strange <laughs> cinema, be weird together. <laughs> yeah. And that's I mean, I know that Joe, we've spoken a number of times about your background and, and kind of love for low budget horror movies i, I remember I, some uh, a quote from an interview that you gave about how you one of your goals in life was to collect every bit of horror memorabilia from the 1980s um, yeah. i don't know if that's still an what? ambition of yours but i absolutely I'm, and I also have in your yeah you know in your <laughs> we'll working talk. at the end attendance at the kind of alamo draft house growing up is right. that you kind of grew up in this environment where you know going to the cinema and reveling in these uh these kind of low budget fun schlocky movies with big groups of people and with food and drink was was kind of what got going to the movies is all about. And so yeah. I wonder, you know, so you have this Christmas Evil screening and you think this is, I mean, how is this, how is Strange Cinema different from Saloon Cinema where you were putting on, I don't know if it was weekly or monthly, but it was some kind of yeah, regular screening of, of really B-movies from right. the more mid-century. So how, how is Strange Cinema different from that? Well, Saloon Cinema was largely based on, on uh, public uh, domain movies simply because of the frequency that we wanted to show movies um, versus the budget we had. So we showed mostly, mostly public domain things. With Strange Cinema, we're, the, the lineup of movies is going to be different in that it's going to be bi-monthly. So it's going to be you know, less of, uh, it's just going to happen less frequently. So we're going to have uh, a little bit more money to put towards it. Um, and so we're going to take advantage of a, a relationship with that we have with vinegar syndrome a relationship we have with bleeding skull video and a relationship we have with a non-theatrical venue distributor uh, that who who understands the size of our theater and charges us screening rights accordingly it's a very difficult thing to get people to understand that lyric hall is not the criterion downtown and so they want to kind of charge us the same rates and it's just not it's just not feasible um, but, um, so it, strange cinema is different from, from the past series in, in that we're trying to raise the level of movie on one hand, uh, and also show titles that are more crowd friendly to Alex's <laughs> sort of, I say to my customer, yeah, to Alex's, <laughs> customers, to Alex, Alex's audience, you know, this is. Um, Strange Ways meets Saloon Cinema, so it's sort of we're elevate we're trying to elevate the the roster of movies we're going to show uh, as a result. And I, I want to talk about the uh, kind of pre-screening market that you all will yeah. be setting up, and that's up the biggest for these. Yeah. But even before we get there, I want to spend a second more on the movies, which is could you? So there's a movie playing tonight, right? right. The first, uh, and we're saying this is Thursday, March 23rd. Right. Uh, a movie called Nightmare Sisters. I don't that's know who right. wants to take this question, but can you tell us a little bit about the movie, the actual movies that will be playing in the sure. series? Well, uh, you know, Vinegar Syndrome has been very, very very good to me and to, to Lyric Hall and to Westville and to New Haven 
in the fact that they are um, letting us show a, a lot of their movies. You know, we've done Raw Force, we've done uh, some other some other some other titles from them. And I should say, Vinegar Syndrome is a Bridgeport-based film restoration yeah. company that focuses yeah. on exploitation films and really pornography. So I mean, well, exploitation it, and maybe it used to be more of a probably fo- won't mm-hmm. show porn. Though, <laughs> yeah. just in case. <laughs> but that is like an area of their it is, focus certainly. in preserving this as kind absolutely of an important cultural artifact of the seventies yeah. and eighties. But you know, I, I like to differentiate that even by saying that it's you know it's classic. The classic right. adult cinema, you know, the the seventies stuff that you know where they actually tried to make a narrative film out of this, you know, collection of nudity and sex. So they they yes, vinegar syndrome is partly that, but but they've been focusing even more lately on on the the exploitation and the cult titles and Nightmare Sisters. I think they did this about a year ago. They uh, scanned it scanned it in two K and restored it uh, and released a Blu Ray. Uh, as they did with some of the other filmmakers' movies, like Deadly Embrace and um, and Murder Weapon, uh, all of which star Linnea Quigley, who's in Nightmare Sisters. So Nightmare Sisters is uh, a, a film made in 1987, directed by this guy named David Dakota, and who had just made a movie called Sorority Babes at the Slimeball Bowlerama, <laughs> and it, which is a pretty famous. You know, old school, uh, 80s, you know, Scream Queen title. And so it, and that movie was the first time he had paired, or actually paired up, the three big Scream Queens. Uh, Linnea Quigley, Michelle Bauer, and Brink Stevens. And so they're finishing this movie, and they've got all this leftover film, what are called short ends. Which are basically, they've got a, fil- a can of film in the canister, and they finish a scene... And there's not quite enough there to keep going with it, with that, with that particular canister. So they switched that out. But there's still a little bit of raw film left. And so what they did was take all of that extra film from all of these canisters they had left over, from all these reels. And they decided they wanted to make another movie. It's very Corman-esque. In fact, the director, David Dakota, wants to be, his goal in coming to Hollywood was to be the next Roger Corman. And so they, they gather up all these short ends of film from Slimeball Bolorama and rent a house in L.A. And Dakota goes to a guy named Kenneth Hall and says, I have an idea called Sorority Succubus Sisters. And that's all he had. And the guy said, all right, um, I, I, I got this. Isn't it usually like they come up with a title and then like yeah. oh, something will come from that? Yeah, that was very <laughs> much uh, a, a, a matter of practice with, with Charles Band, who Dakota worked for. Um, and they oftentimes Charles Band would even have a poster made and keep it in his office waiting for someone to take that poster idea and make a movie out of it. So it's 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 this it's weird. You know, this only happens in the '80s. But you know, to that interest in starting with the uh, kind of ephemera first, and then working towards the actual movie and the narrative yeah. and the production later. It kind of I'm, I'm I want to um, I want to come back to the movie sure. itself, but I also want to ask Alex, Alex a question about your your kind of interest in um, starting and participating in something like strange cinema. From what I understand from Strange Ways, and I've I've been there a few times, but I'm certainly not as much of a regular of Joe as Joe is that maybe. Uh, you know all this talk about working with the short ends of films and kind of start you know looking as as interested in the box art like the graphic box art of a video as the contents of the video itself is that uh, is that what 
um, interests you about this world of underground kind of 80s horror movies, all of the different kind of physical ephemera around the movies themselves? Or, or what is it that, um, that, I don't know, makes you want to put something like this on? Yeah, I mean, I think first I would want to say I, I love what Joe was doing with Saloon Cinema. And I think my biggest interest in you know, coming together with him for Strange Cinema was making it more of an event and more of a, all right, well, it's really hard to show a movie every week, every week, every week, get people to come into such a weird niche thing. And I'm like, let's really blow this out. Let's have market. Let's have, you know, drinks. Let's have like a more high end, whatever you want to call it, movie. Um, I, you know, I think that I just want to say that's why I want to get involved in this. I think that it's going to be more than just a film screening, like it's an event. And I think that that's sort of what makes it unique to maybe other things that have gone on in New Haven. Um, my interest in, I have a specific interest in underground culture, but also specifically horror movies and slash movies very much for the reason that you said it was like box cover art. I remember when I was like eight years old, walking up and down blockbuster video and just feeling like I'm not supposed to go into the horror aisle. But of course that's why I wanted to go into the horror aisle <laughs> and just you know they had amazing art they were painted they were illustrated they weren't just photoshopped thrown together like they had a concept and in many ways a bigger concept than the actual you know movie turned out Often. to be yeah um and i went to school for graphic design um so in that aspect like i was enthralled in the visual part and then the movies are i just think that they're <laughs> fun and silly and weird and crowd pleasing right? can't really you know part of when i watch them i'm like how what's how is this happening how did this get put together and i i kind of love the um yeah just the diy aspect of it so uh, joe has been on the show a number of times not just to talk about work that or movies that he screened at saloon cinema but also uh his uh kind of shared enthusiasm for vhs with various other people around new haven most notably when we had joe and david gary on who was a librarian at yale who David and Aaron Pratt, a PhD student at the time, were instrumental in acquiring a nearly 3,000 VHS tape collection for, for the Yale library system, I think making it the first research library in the country to have such an extensive VHS collection. And Joe, I think, has really been you know, describing and maybe participating in this resurgence of interest in VHS in particular, um, in the very like physical format of VHS, and then you know, ancillary to that, maybe not as, maybe as part of that, all of the different, um, you know, the box art, the covers, all that stuff. But Joe hosted something called Magnetic Fest at Lyric Hall about a year and a half ago that brought together all of these different VHS vendors and enthusiasts. And I wonder, as um, I, I want to ask a bit about the market before we circle back to the movies again, but this, this market that's taking place beforehand, is this going to be something similar, like people with VHS cassettes kind of sharing and swapping and and talking about it, or is it is it going beyond just um, movie materials at at the market? Um, Joe can jump in whenever he wants to, but since I kind of organized the market part more, um, it's not going to be a VHS swap fest. I mean, Magnetic Fest right. is coming back yep. next month. Next month, yep. yeah. So that's when you know if you really love VHS culture and want to you know meet other video heads or whatever people yep. call them nowadays. That's when you should go. Um, I mean, Joe's going to have a table selling some stuff and we right. might even have some vhs i mean we have vhs, VHS playing in the shop right? yeah i mean we but we have like so we have uh, linnea quigley's horror workout that's on dvd but that was originally on vhs we have that and we sell it we have a movie called rewind this which i actually met the, the people who made it at the last magnetic fest so we have those for sale but they're actually on dvd but it's about the culture right. i think more i think what i think it relates more to the vhs culture aspect with the market is this sort of DIY undergroundness. I mean, we have people that are, you know, just doing illustrations. 
Um, we have zines. You know, I think pins and patches are still pretty underground. There's not a lot of people that really love them, love them, but we'll have that. So I think it's more just the general idea of sort of underground culture, and that's how it relates to VHS, right. and that's how it relates to sort of the underground yeah, the analog. Cinema. You know, the analog culture. It, it's it's coming. People are are sort of appreciating analog culture more and more now that you know it, it even comes down to like as as much as people wanting phone calls now instead of emails. So it's it that's a much bigger question about you know the the physical the physicality of of the 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 cultural items that we like and and to me that's absolutely a part of what we're doing we're bringing an a night of analog to a, a digital world and what I what I do want to say is strange ways did have a table at the first magnetic fest mm-hmm. and uh, and Alex has been involved with that but yeah this is. This is not going to be a VHS swap leading into a screening. I will have a table of tapes, but then there are also um, Alex. Alex has you know knows all sorts of vendors and creative artists who who are going to bring their their p- p- pens, patches, etc., zines. Um, so we wanted it to be more a movie screening. It's 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 just a, it's a perfect pairing of Strange Ways and, and Lyric Hall. It's sort of like the first two hours are Strange Ways, and then leading into a Lyric Hall screening. You know, yeah. and, and it's just like this perfect marble cake. Alex, can you tell us the names of any other vendors who will be participating in yes, this market? Yes, I have them on my phone. In the, <laughs> in the meantime, I'd like to mention that the uh, Linnea Quickly, the horror workout DVD that he sells is a limited edition of a thousand. So get it while you can. It comes with a signed uh, photograph too from Linnea, Linnea and the director. And she she's in Nightmare Sisters along with the other two famous scream queens who were in Slimeball Bolorama and that. The horror workout video was directed by the guy who wrote Nightmare Sisters. <laughs> yeah, so. I've never seen Nightmare Sisters actually, and I'm very excited because I love Linnea Quigley, and obviously I love like weird horror movies. Um, but Linnea is like, I have a really big fan crush on her, and she's actually sent me a CD in the mail that she signed up her old <laughs> band. She sings a song called Strange Ways, and so she's like, I have to send you the single that my band put out like whatever 25 years ago is this the skirts uh yeah i think so yeah. isn't it literally Linnea called Quigley strange ways skirts. yeah, yeah if you look it up online it's actually a really good song she sings uh, a song in a movie called santa monica boulevard boys that's awesome yeah she's so, great just yeah. come see the movie for her yeah. um you know, before exactly. we get to the vendor name i want to oh, okay. say uh you're listening to deep focus on wnhh lp new haven's home for community radio i'm your host tom breen and i'm talking with joe fay from lyric hall and alex de from strange ways both in westville about a new screen series of uh kind of Celebrating 80s underground uh, VHS culture uh, that will be happening at Lyric Hall starting today, March 23rd uh, at 6 p.m. Yes. I think it's when the market opens. Market opens and at 6. Movie at 8. Uh, Joe, could you wave the cover of the Nightmare Sister? Absolutely. I know you brought a copy of the <laughs> Blu ray so people on Facebook Live can see uh, what some of the graphic art that is as interesting That's as right. what's happening on the disc itself. Available but, from vinegarsyndrome.com. <laughs> but, so Alex, you said a number of vendors are going to be participating, not just uh, Strange Ways. Who else? Yeah, well, so I should say Strange Ways is doing 20% off of like top sellers and just stuff we kind of want to on sale <laughs> but we'll have a table of select items 20 percent off poor george vintage uh which is my friend kia she does awesome sort of more motorcycle punk inspired select vintage that she finds um joe will have a table of vhs and vintage film posters gentle persons gently has zines cards patches and pins um this guy jay holmes does really cool um illustrations drawings under the name death cycle and then fluent apparel which is a um 
fairly local Connecticut-based um, clothing line will have a table there too. Um, and I guess Vinegar Syndrome will have yes, a table. Yes, Vinegar Syndrome is going to have a table. Which is awesome. Yeah. Great. Uh, I Joe, when we've... Uh, you know, had you and Dave on the show. Dave has really uh, made an argument for you know preserving VHS as uh, as kind of an important kind of cultural touchstone from right. the '80s that is kind of on in danger of disappearing entirely from you know our contemporary cultural memory. And that you know so much of the movies, or I think all of the movies that they acquired at Yale, and I think a lot that you are looking to promote are movies that never made the transfer to another format. These were shot on VHS and stayed permanently on VHS. And I was reading, and uh, you shared an, an essay you wrote for I think Fine Books magazine. Oh, right. yeah. Yep. Uh, the um, the other day, and, and you were writing about how you know this resurgence of interest in VHS is not just a matter of um, these swaps or various conventions or fanzines or you know people pulling out from their basements all of these different videos they've been saving, but also uh, a new kind of distribution and even production of movies on VHS. And whenever I go to you know a screening at the Whitney Humanities Center, there's always a lot of um, attention paid to screening movies on film, you know, movies that were shot on film and presenting it in its original format. And in some way that is supposed to, you know, be a meaningful distinction for audiences mm-hmm. uh, to understand. It's not just a matter of what they're watching, but how they're experiencing it in the way that it was originally created. And I wonder, I know that it sounds like this movie is being, is going to be screened on Blu-ray yes. tonight, but can you tell me a little bit about um, what interests you about playing movies on VHS, what 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 is uh, and whether you are aware of? I mean, do you do you see that renewed interest in making movies on VHS and distributing it? Or oh, sure, there there would be there half a dozen movies, maybe more every year, shot on a camcorder that people edit on a video deck and release on VHS. Uh, and you know that's nice. It's nice to be a, a, a format uh, traditionalist or purist, um, but you know the, the the reality of somewhere like Lyric Hall or or smaller theaters or even you know the Whitney Humanities Center can afford to you know maintain a thirty five millimeter projector and thank God they do. Um, Nightmare Sisters was shot on thirty five millimeter and it would be or maybe sixteen, but it was shot on film and it would be nice to project you know Nightmare Sisters on film, but that's just not a, a practical reality for. Uh, you know, the, uh, this wonderful little theater in Westville. Um, so we, w- what is what is great about this is that this Blu-ray looks better than a, a film print does and the VHS ever, like, dreamed of being. I mean, it's it's amazing. You know, Vinegar Syndrome does excellent restoration work, and this, this Blu-ray is a, a proof positive of that process. Now, I know I cut you off a few minutes earlier when we were about to talk about some of the titles, but could you give our listeners a taste of what some of the movies to come or maybe types sure. of movies to come in right. Strange Cinema? I can give you, you know, sort of a, a titles that Alex and I, these are no in no way set in stone, but these are sort of titles that, that Alex and I have sort of bandied back and forth. You know, uh, uh, movies like Black Roses, um, The Legend of Billie Jean, um Trauma movies like Class of Newcomb High or The Toxic Avenger are possibilities. Uh, more Vinegar Syndrome titles like Evils of the Night and, and maybe a Christmas screening of Jack Frost or something, some weird Christmas movie. You know, Christmas Evil was a, was a fun time, and I think I like, I love Christmas horror movies, and we could probably do a show on just those. <laughs> um, 
so you know something and being bi-monthly we can we can be picky and 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 really decide on on what the titles will be uh well ahead of time and and promote them much better than we used to um but then we also work with like i said with a distributor who who has agreements with major studios so possibilities i'm not setting this in stone but possibilities for the future include uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, uh, the the '90s, uh, you know, vampire movie, the or not vampire, witch movie, The Craft, you know, um, Creep Show, Godzilla versus Mothra, the original Scream, which you know has a lot of it. That that movie has a you know people are are a lot of people who saw that movie for the first time as kids now have a nostalgia for Scream. Which seems strange to me, but you know, uh, <laughs> I would love to see that again. That's my yeah. favorite movie, actually. The Big Lebowski, you know, stuff like this that 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 is just a little bit off the beaten path. But and you know, I, I don't just have an interest in this sort of this sort of culture, but it's 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 I like to play in it more than just about anything else. But uh, we're also you know open to suggestions, and we're open to um, you know uh, international cinema. So. Those are just sort of some of the ideas we have percolating, but but they, by no means, you know, are, is it set in stone. Can I jump in and just please, say one please. thing? I feel like, you know, my interest in the type of movies we show, because we do talk about this together, is um, there probably will be a tendency to show horror, dark, weird stuff, maybe because that's what we tend to like. But I would love if there's a weird coming-of-age movie. I mean, that Billie Jean movie, which I didn't even, I've never seen, seems oh, like it could be about so that. Yeah. It's like an 80s girl coming yeah. of age. Fair is fair. Yeah. yeah. Uh, seems like it might be feminist. That'd be cool. Yep, um, yep, definitely. But, yeah, I think that I personally would love them to just be fun and weird, entertaining, um, and you're going to have a good time. And we have also, like, Narragansett that is sponsoring the event, too, and they're oh, yeah. donating beers, and there's going right. to be $2, uh, $2 tall boys. So like, not that I want everyone to just like get wasted or something, but you know, I want it to be a good time. I I think that these types of movies have a weird sort of place in cinema history books, but also they're just really fun to like sit down and watch. Yeah. And that's what I want from it. Right. And you know, the whole VHS thing, it, it's it, I don't want to harp on that too much, but the VHS culture and the and the generation of of adults that VHS formed uh, are now commenting on and are now inspiring i think artists like alec alex works with you know the the zine creators now have been sort of formed by the weird box covers and and mm -hmm. th and the movies and things of that nature that weren't available until vhs happened you know the this show is not just about movies but about movies you know and new haven we're very much you know at the new haven independent and wnhh focused on hyper local issues things that happen around town as opposed to um national trends or uh or just things of note that we're interested in and i i wonder um alex as as someone who has really committed himself to the kind of westville neighborhood through your shop for the past year and a half i wonder if you and this is as we kind of wrap up our interview and thinking about um audience like who the ideal audience is for this who you want to see coming through the doors of lyric hall tonight and and twice a month for the series but also do you see uh do you do you see enough uh, kind of support out there in New Haven for a series like this? Like, do, is this something that, based on your understanding of kind of the cultural milieu in which you work now, um, do you think people are gonna show up? And and who do you want to see at this thing? 
Uh, I guess for me, I'm not from Connecticut, actually. I moved to New Haven almost three years ago. And um, I moved to New Haven uh, partly to start the shop and a big reason. Um, New Haven is probably the, the place in Connecticut for culture like this to thrive. Um, I was very worried about opening up my shop in New Haven, though, because it is very weird. You know, people might specifically think it, oh, it should be in Portland, Maine. It should be in Austin, Texas. And I'm like, but I feel like it could do well here. And I think my point in saying this stuff is the shop has been done well. And if anything, people have come out that are local and in the area, New Haven or surrounding Connecticut being like, there isn't something like this. And there isn't something that caters to my interests like this. And so I would hope that we can kind of build off of my audience as well as Lear calls and who, how Joe has been building his audience to say, well, now there's this event. There's these film strings that you are, I swear you're going to like as well. Um, but I really do think it's going to be a test. I mean, We've had good response so far just based on Facebook, you know, RSVPs and like people just coming to the shop saying they're excited or whatever. But the idea audience is sort of, they're not obvious. Like it's not, you know, people always think of Yale. Like it's not probably Yale. It's not probably even college kids. It's going to be like a wide range of probably like high school or like maybe 18, I don't know, 18 plus to like 45, 50 year olds that just yeah. like interesting off the beaten path culture. That's right. And I dare if any kid, if any young people are listening at Yale, I dare you to come. I would love if they came. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, it, it'd be nice for all of that to mix together in yeah, New Haven, absolutely, and, and in Westville. I mean, Westville's great. I would love for Lyric Hall to continue having all these awesome events. I'd love for people to come hang out in the neighborhood. I think we have a lot going on. So hopefully, this just helps. Yep. Well, I want to thank Alex Dekoulis and Joe Fay for coming on the show today to talk about Strange Cinema. Uh, where can people find out about the series? Where can they watch, participate in it, and also um, promote some stuff for me? What, you know, where can people find Strange Ways? Where can they find Lyric Hall? Maybe I'll go to Alex first and then over to Joe. Uh, sure. So Strange Ways, I mean, our main online shop, strange-ways.com. You can check out our whole online store. Um, but we post most of our events on our Facebook page. So there's a Facebook events page, and we create a Facebook event for all the you know bigger things we're doing. So if you want to RCP or invite someone to the event tonight, you can go to that and invite them. And there's the flyer and all of that too. Yeah, Lyric Hall on, on Facebook is the, the sort of the main arm. And then um, lyrichallnewhaven.com has a calendar on the front page when you go to it. And then um, uh, John Cavalier, who owns um, owns Lyric Hall, has, uh, does Instagram. And um, so that's where you can, it's, I believe it's Lyric Hall at Lyric Hall on Instagram. Great. Well, we will make sure to post all those links on the Deep Focus website uh, after the show. And uh, we hope to see you all out at Lyric Hall tonight for the first uh, entry in Strange Cinema. Joe and Alex, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you very much. If you like uh, 80s nudity, come on out. (laughs) And weird monsters, too. And handcrafted products. (laughs) And who doesn't like all three of those things? Uh, Coming up next, a review of the new uh, Beauty and the Beast with Alan Appel. But first, let's hear a little bit of music from New Haven's Ellison Jackson. Beg me to stay 
forgotten my own name Deep Focus, a radio show about movies and New Haven. I'm your host, Tom Breen. Uh, The Beauty and the Beast, for those of you who are unfamiliar with this little movie, Disney's latest live-action remake of one of its incredibly popular, popular, both critically and uh, with audiences, animated titles from the early 1990s, tells the fairy tale of Belle, played here by Emma Watson, uh, Hermione from the Harry Potter movies, a bookish, beautiful, and courageous peasant girl in rural medieval France, who finds herself held captive by a surly prince who has been cursed with the body of a monstrous beast. Uh, Trapped in the prince's desolate mansion, Belle and the Beast resist and then relent towards each other's budding affections with a little help from what other than talking furniture as voiced by movie stars, our favorite types of talking furniture, Ewan McGregor and Ian McKellen and Stanley Tucci, uh, among others. So, Alan, we don't often talk about uh, mainstream kind of Hollywood fair on the show. We don't often talk about kids' movies, fantasy movies, Disney movies, or even remakes. So this is a bit of an aberration on a number of fronts for us. So I'm interested to hear what you thought of the movie, whether you think it is <laughs> worthwhile to to take this trip down uh, kind of the, you know, this is blockbuster lane. Um, but also if you saw, I mean, this is a fairy tale that has been captivating audiences for nearly three centuries now. It is based on an 18th century French fairy tale and clearly based on, you know, the box office, whatever that is worth. People are turning up in huge numbers to see this latest version of um, you know, their fond recollections of a Disney movie from the early 90s. So what what did you think of this new Beauty and the Beast? And did you find a, a glimmer of, I don't know, what people find so attractive about the story? Well, I thought you were going to introduce me by breaking into song and saying, be our guest, <laughs> be our guest. <laughs> no one reviews movies like Alan. <laughs> so... um I should say this is a musical, right? For anyone who's not aware of it. It's a musical. So I may, may I read just a few sentences that, that I actually composed to you while I was waiting for Beauty and the Beast to start? It says, um, Memo to Tom Breen. Uh, thank you for sending me to see Beauty and the Beast. Here I am amid a, a surprisingly large crowd of people at 3.30 in the afternoon, and I paid only $6, and I was uh, only slightly embarrassed to buy a ticket. 
Um, and uh, now I'm in the midst of 20 minutes of apocalyptic wars between two species, one flesh and one metal, it says. And the Gorsuch hearings are going on. Uh, and these people, including yours truly, should be watching them instead of looking at all these uh, beautiful girls in bikinis with ray guns shooting at highly mascarid pterodactyls. And Beauty and the Beast hasn't even started. <laughs> Wait, what what is this what is this dinosaur apocalypse that you're is this a preview that you're oh, watching or? yeah some, because this isn't beauty and the beast that you're no, describing no, no, presumably but, no no but 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 presumably these are previews of like right. um i forget what they are uh you know movies like avatar where right. where, where uh, you know they're they're all, all what is it the you know the uh, the latest oh, could you pull the mic up a little bit C, the C, cgi uh stuff is on great display and uh, people are people are saving the world through um, you know, uh, uh, beautiful people organizing other uh, beautiful people against creatures who, as it turned out, um, look a little like uh, the Beast uh, in the next movie. So uh, I guess that was to prepare you. But uh, but what, what what struck me is that there there was, as you suggested, quite a crowd. I mean, this is like what is it the the best selling movie ever in the history of March or something like that. There's some claim. And, and, and this is a time of year when studios tend to dump their, you know, less interesting or maybe less successful fare into theaters, right? If, if studios tend to pile all of their kind of their big anticipatory releases towards the end of the year, summers are when blockbusters come out, fall is when the Oscar t- contenders come out, and then the early, like very early spring and late winter is when we, we see a lot of movies that maybe studios had high anticipations for, but then um, they, they don't. You know, they just want to kind of get rid of and no one will notice. This seems to fall into a slightly different category in that probably wasn't, you know, they didn't want it to compete with anything potentially more substantive, but rather wanted it to dominate a relatively fallow time period. But I think it was you or, or, or somebody who said something that, that one of, uh, that's astute, that, that the Disney people are extremely smart in their marketing. And I, I think this was designed to appeal to people who are, I don't know, in their 20s and 30s now but saw it when they were 10 years old and um, uh, when there were no humans, when it was all uh, animation. And I guess who could take their own kids to see it and kind of share the experience. That's, I mean, that's a very clever thing. And in fact, throughout the movie, as, especially as the cutest of the, of the creatures, you know, the teapot Mrs. Potts and her cute little boy Chip um, carry on and sing and so on and so forth, there were lots of giggles down the row I was sitting in. Uh, quite in, you know in, in, enjoyable, but also um, there there you you can tell how silent and, and engaged an audience is. I, I don't I don't think folks were were riveted and nobody and, and nobody was just overwhelmed and people left quickly and there was no standing ovation for this even though um, it was so overwhelming in its music and in its um, uh, uh, in the imagery and and the, I mean the, the movie never let you have your own feelings it told you oh you know when to break into song and and when who to who to feel uh, for and what to feel so um so i think you I feel think manipulated is is you know it's like the pleasure of manipulation i guess is what my take on it is and you just a response to your initial uh the kind of letter that you wrote to me while waiting for the movie memo, memo. the memo right uh you know, we go to the movies all the time to escape for an hour or two into a different reality. I don't think that's necessarily condemnatory of 
a movie in and of itself if it's something that you know maybe is not the best use of our time if there are you know the Gorsuch hearings are probably more or definitely more substantively important but you know I think movies as distraction from reality are um, well I guess if if that's all it is maybe that's not a movie that I want to have to do with but in terms of but that's kind of a, escaping no, that's a into a question. fantasy I, th- I don't think right. that's something that is ne- I think well may- if that's a problem that you have with this movie it's probably a problem that you should have with with all movies because that you know movies as an art form are such an immersive um, and kind of taking you know out of body experience uh, in terms of uh, popular works of art, but I also I want to pick up right. on distraction two... is the key word and the, and and what you mean by I'm not sure what you mean by that. And uh, there 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 are different kinds of distraction. Yeah. There are just there are distract. There's a, I mean, you know, there's a whole spectrum. I mean, escapism, where you don't think about anything at all, is one form of distraction. Mm-hmm. But it's also possible to be thinking about stuff while not thinking about it. And in fact, this movie, for all its um, uh, uh, being pitched for children is is <laughs> i mean it's full it, it it's pushing a lot of stuff at you it's it's pushing a lot of stuff that people on the right call pc i mean uh the beauty uh, the beauty and the beast finally fall in love because she loves to read and the beast has a dusty old library that seems to me to be the turning point of their so-called love and um you know so it's all about literacy and you know and there are even speeches about books, and uh, her Bell's favorite play is Romeo and Juliet. I mean, the whole thing is keyed so that every single middle school teacher in America will show this movie to their kids. And I think and that, that's not bad. I mean, I, I, when you said that, you know, people on the right may uh, push back against the PC nature of the movie, I, I thought that you were picking up on um, the explicitly kind of homosexual subplot in this movie where. Gaston and his uh, his Whoever obsessive LeFou, ja- played by Josh Gad. He's a looks very like Jack popu- Yeah, he's a very popular theater actor um, right. and you know musical performer. But you know this in what has always been a uh, a kind of dependent and kind of homoerotic, maybe at a um, a bit under the radar level. This this movie really plays up that it's actually like this. You know, LeFou is homosexual and is interested sexually in Gaston, and I think there are a number of like very carefully coordinated scenes to try to demonstrate a i mean that i think that people on the left would say this is like this is the campy approach to incorporating like you know sexual and cultural diversity on screen like this doesn't de- necessarily demonstrate the type of tolerance and understanding oh, of quite the minorities but rather a way to get a laugh out of someone while not resulting in you know if this type of character would be in the closet in previous Disney movies. He's out of the closet, but he's still laughed at. Here. It's very <laughs> retardatory. It's winking. It's old fashioned, and uh, nobody. It, it, it's designed uh, so that it it, it it conveys the fact that whatever it is, it's very secondary and of uh, on a lesser tier of human behavior than this marvelous thing that's going on between Beauty and the Beast. In fact, I don't think it's this is about heterosexual love or love between. I think it's. I mean, it, what, what struck me about this movie and I was trying to think if I took my kids to see it which we probably did because you know some deep cavern of my brain was resonating with uh you know the the dinner song and the Gaston song in the bar so I'd seen it before but what I didn't realize is that this really is about I mean if there's any real love uh explored in 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 this it's filial love it's the daughter's um passion to save her father 
Sure. I think. Oh, yeah. And it's, I mean, this is a, I mean, part of the enduring appeal of this fantasy, I think, is the transformative potential of love and that if you love someone so much you're able to turn them from like this you know monstrous beast into someone that you are quite physically attracted to or something but you're right it's not necessarily i mean really the only sexual relationship in the movie not demonstrated explicitly on screen but you know strongly implied through their interactions is the the male male one between uh lefou and gaston but the relationship between you know the beast and bell is definitely secondary to the relationship between bell and her father played by Kevin Klein. Was that Kevin Klein? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's terrific. And I don't know why he couldn't talk to teapots. I mean, a guy like that. That was a disappointing scene when, when he makes his way during the stormy night into the castle and these, uh, these inanimate objects begin to talk to him. I mean, he, he's like Geppetto or somebody. I mean, he should be able to talk to them. But uh, I guess for plot reasons, he has to flee or get imprisoned. But definitely, I mean, nostalgia is a very important part of mainstream, you know, movie culture right now. And that we see, you know, not just Disney with bringing back Tarzan. And I think they have a number of uh, releases in the next couple of years of, you know, successful early 90s animated movies that they're making live action remakes of. So this is this falls squarely within you know a plan of theirs to revive a bunch of popular titles of theirs. But we've seen, you know, this is nothing new. I mean, franchises and kind of returns to popular movies from the 80s and 90s with the draft. Park and Terminator movies and Vacation got a remake a couple years. I mean, this is a a strategy of studios to bring in the uh, kind of aging millennial audience to reflect fondly upon their youth. But I do think that the fact that this is a story that I mean, maybe people aren't responding to the story at all. Maybe it's just the Disney version of it from the early '90s. But I, I watched the 1946 Jean Cocteau version of. Beauty and the Beast called Belle and the Bet, um, oh, which for you. is, I mean, I mean, Cocteau is a uh, kind of surrealist, uh, kind of avant-garde French poet, painter, filmmaker from the 30s, 40s, and 50s. And that movie, you know, it has all of the wonder that this one kind of lacks. And I think it's the relentlessness that you picked up on, where we are we're constantly just ferried from scene to scene, musical to musical, with such intense close-ups. I mean, the camera is just relentlessly on these people's faces as they're singing. And, and, the, and the music is uh, turned up, uh, pumped up all the time. It, you're right. It is an entertainment that encourages one not necessarily not not to think but just kind of to let it wash over you and i think that right. you know the story it's i i don't know if this is a condemnation of the story or of disney's approach to it because clearly you know this story haven't been around this is what fairy this is why fairy tales still interest us right this is why we're interested in the brothers Grimm. these are things that tap into something no matter the era that we are interested in returning it, to it's a fabulous story i think it's i think the Grimm's picked it up from um um uh some count uh, beaumont uh uh but it's probably around forever, and it's a great story, and it has—it really does have everything. Um, but uh, the the movie's just afraid to let you settle into even some of the most um, to some of the most moving moments. Just occasionally, it knows, for example, when when Belle, who's you know, it it, it Belle is she wants to she she loves her father, and she doesn't know. Uh, how her mother died and all the details of that. And, you know, that's really pitched to, to, to young teenagers who want to know who their parents are and are the, or, or, or to put it uh, unkindly to parents, am I really their child? (laughs) Who are these people? And so finally, I guess three quarters of the way through the film, when the beast ferries her to Paris, they're in love. And I guess it's their honeymoon or something. And she, he's able to deduce that uh, 
uh, the, the, the mother had the plague and the father, in order to save her, had to abandon uh, his wife and take her to presumably to the country. Um, I mean, that's it's powerful stuff sure, there. there yeah, and the movie finally shut its mouth uh, briefly. But that's, the, there are very few moments like that. We only have about 15 or 30 seconds left, but I want to make sure to ask you, because this is so rare for us to talk about, mm. you know, movies ex, you know, explicitly directed for family audiences, right. as someone who is a father and a grandfather and also a lover of movies, uh, is there, and again, I apologize for such a short time period, but when you think about the best you know, movies to watch as a family and what makes for you know, a good movie that's directed for a family audience do any titles come to mind or do any characteristics come to and this is unfair to ask you in the last seconds but just you know somewhat a, a life you know you spend a life watching movies and also a life raising kids and being a, a parent so well i, I mean I'm, i'll probably think of some great answers uh day after tomorrow and and send you another memo um but um now i i, I always felt that um that i wanted to watch um you know uh, movies with with people and uh and uh I, I mean music and all that is wonderful um but uh boy i tell you i remember i i if i were on the famous desert island i would leave uh this beauty and the beast and all animation behind and i would take um seven brides for seven brothers Fabulous movie about meeting people and family and community. With Fabulous. That, with that recommendation, I'm afraid that we're, we're over time. Ten, we're, see it ten times. A, a musical recommendation for the whole family by Alan Powell. Alan, thank you so much for seeing this movie and for, for talking about it with be me today. Guest, Be our guest. <laughs> I was you, your guest. You, you can find a complete archive of Deep Focus shows at deepfocusradio.com. And coming up next is Elise's Culture Cocktail.